We are up to chapter 53, the final chapter of the Kutei Abarim, which is the first volume of the Tanya. It's been a really uh, enjoyable journey for myself. And uh, if I may say so, I think the person that perhaps benefited most from these classes has been myself. I've never had, I've never given myself the opportunity until this time to uh, systematically uh, go through chapter by chapter, giving it a lot of time and thought and understanding on later Sunday night, earlier Monday morning, reading the chapter again and again and really trying to pick up on, on, on the message of the Tanya. And while in many Tanya class, uh, courses, um, uh, sometimes the teacher spends many weeks on a single chapter and you could understand why, I was quite pleased to come across a letter this past week from the Rebbe advising somebody who uh, um, expressed their frustration that they uh, weren't understanding the Tanya, what they weren't getting it. It seems like it was maybe somebody that was in a, perhaps a yeshiva, but certainly didn't seem to be in a uh, um, Chabad yeshiva or Hasidic yeshiva, because it looked like he was looking to learn it, but he was getting stuck. And uh, the Rebbe said that the Tanya should be learned like, learned like any other book of Torah. How so? When you learn the Chubish, when you learn the Parsha, you read a few words and you can immediately get very stuck with many questions that you don't understand. It's so much that um, really one wishes to understand. This is actually a general lesson about how to go about learning Torah in general. And uh, the solution is not to get caught up on every difficulty. But it's to, you could maybe make a note of them, but to keep reading. And as you keep reading, you develop a more general picture so that you get the general storyline, the general message, the general insight of each chapter, of each verse. And then after you've become very familiar with the Parsha or the Chumash or whatever you're learning, then you go over it a second time and then you have an opportunity to now look more into the different things that you had a difficult time with so that you can uh, have a better understanding of what's going on. And the same applies also in learning Gemara in Talbud, you, a page of Talbud. I mean, in Yeshiva, we'd spend a, a whole year, thousands of hours on literally um, five, ten pages. Uh, but that was in the, the in-depth sec- session of, of, the, of, of the Yeshiva. But in the afternoons, we would just go through many, many pages. So there were these different styles, and, and they each uh, complement each other. Certainly when it comes to Tanya, well, as we go along the way, there are many things that uh, require lots of additional explanation. The uh, key is to really ask ourselves, what is the general message that this chapter is giving us? And now as we come to the end of the Kutei Abarim, the first section of the Tanya, the key is to ask ourselves, what is the general message that the Tanya is giving us? And then we could go back and we could ask and analyze and reflect and, and get deeper insight as we uh, go over it again and again. And as mentioned, that's part of the beauty of the Tanya, that it touches on different concepts in different chapters in different ways, which means that the same concept will come up multiple times, but each time it comes up, it's explained in a new light. And that's all the more reason why we don't get too caught up on uh, the particular concept of that particular chapter because we're only viewing it from one light right now but when it comes up again a little bit later we'll have a a different insight a different look at that very same uh, 
concept. So it's to be introduced to the concepts, to become familiar with them, but most importantly to ask ourselves at the end of each chapter, what is this chapter teaching me? What can I take with this chapter? What can I share with this chapter? How can I live with this chapter? And then chapter by chapter, we can uh, really uh, transform our lives for the better. We're up to chapter 53, as mentioned. The last three chapters have touched on a very fundamental theme of Hasidus. And that is, where is God? We've spoken about this a lot already. Just heard a, an anecdote of a kid that, or a father that was trying to convince his son that there's no God. But his son was an innocent kid and he wasn't taking it very well. And the father was really getting frustrated. He needed to really get the message across to his son that, you know, to just stop believing in, in, in this, whatever the son believed in. And in his frustration, one night after the kid went to sleep, he thought he'll, he'll write a note and I'll put it under his pillow and he'll wake up and he'll say, here's some mystical message. I don't know how exactly that works. And on the note he wrote, God is nowhere. And the kid woke up in the morning and he came running down to his dad and he said, I found a, a paper under my pillow and it said, God is here. I don't know exactly how you read it in the words, but that's what you read from the paper. So uh, we, could, uh, we all have our experiences and perhaps the challenge is that instead of reading life, now here. Oh, now. thank you. There we go. God is now here. There we go. So uh, this the story obviously doesn't go back a couple of hundred years because at that time they didn't speak English, but it still really gives the message of the Tanya. But the challenge is that as much as people may, or not people, circumstances and challenges may sometimes want to give us the message of God being nowhere, the challenge is for us to instead read that very same paper Instead of reading it as God is nowhere, to read it as God is now here. In the beginning of chapter 51, we went back to a statement that was mentioned earlier in the Tanya, talking about reoccurring themes of the, the Yanukkah of this youngster in the Tsar, where he says that uh, the wise person has his eyes on his head. And the Yanukkah explains, this, this, this youngster in the Tsar explains, what does it mean that the wise person has his eyes on his head? It means that the wise person is aware of what's above his head. And what is above our head? It's the Shekhinah. And the Tanya earlier in the 40s, 30s actually, the Tanya went on to explain the analogy. The body is a wick. The Shekhinah, God's presence, is the fire. And we want to have God's presence, we want to have the fire on our wick. We want our body to be kindled by the uh, presence of Hashem. Sorry. So how do we ensure that the fire stays on the wick? And for that we need oil. And what is oil, continues the Yudukkah, it's good deeds. 
good deeds, mitzvahs. And that was really the uh, foundation for a lengthy discussion in chapters 35, 36, 37, and the beginning of 38, of the significance of a physical action. And we spoke then about why it is that Judaism, which could be described as a religion, which one would think relates to a relationship with God, is predominantly focused on physical engagement. It's a strange anomaly. If we're looking to develop a relationship with God who is beyond the physical, then why is it that so much of Jewish practice engages with the physical? And we explained there that Hashem wishes that we build Him a home, a house, in the darkest and lowest of places. And so specifically the physical, which is most concealing of a spiritual reality, is the chosen destination where Hashem has requested that we build a home. And when we do a mitzvah, we bring Hashem into this physical world and we make this world more of a home, more of an environment that is welcoming. Of God's presence. So this is really what we spoke about back then in chapter 37. But back in the beginning of chapter 51, a few weeks ago, the Tanya revisited the Zohar, this, this, this excerpt from Kabbalah. And the Tanya asks a question. So again, the wick is our body. The fire is God's presence. And what keeps the fire on the wick, it's the oil. What did we say the oil is? We said it is mitzvahs, it's physical action. The Tanya asks, we find in many other sources in Kabbalah, that oil refers to wisdom. Or to God's wisdom. And so we are a little bit conflicted at what it is that is going to bring Hashem's shida, Hashem's presence into our wick, into our body. Is it wisdom? Or more specifically, God's wisdom as He shares it to us through the Torah? Or is it action? Two seemingly very opposite elements of the human experience. The mind... Or actions. Yes. When does all this, um, the Hashem uh, the Neshama, come at conception or birth? Great question. And death, when does it, does it go? The answer is that there's different levels. That's the short answer. A part of the Neshama already enters into the body during pregnancy. And then it only completes coming into the body by bar or bas mitzvah. And similarly, after a person passes away, there's a part of the neshama that stays with the body for a certain amount of time, which is why there's that, that the space of burial has a certain spiritual energy. It requires additional explanation. But in short, it depends on what level of the neshama is entering into the body or leaving the body. So, yes. 
this continue continue continuity yes continuity yeah so does that neshama go into another body very often yes and neshama has more than one mission absolutely But interestingly, we're speaking here not about the neshaba engaging with the body. We're talking after the neshaba is already in the body. We're not talking about how do we bring life into the body. We're talking about how do we bring Hashem into our lives. After we already have a neshaba. How do we make Hashem present in our lives? That's really the question. And we've gotten conflicting reports. Is it wisdom, study, knowledge of Hashem? Or is it action? Why do you say they're opposite each other? I say they complement each other. And therefore we need both. Okay, that's well, true. Yeah, you know, in psychology, there's this ongoing debate. What, change, what causes change behavior or attitude? You know, it's a whole, and, uh, uh, and then people go back and forth on this. But perhaps, perhaps uh, it's got to do with you start doing this stuff, and then the thinking comes, that's you need. So there's a famous um, saying of Chayvus Halavavus. Who's that? Which, which reads, after the actions, the heart is drawn. And that's the idea of, of, of when we engage in so many actions, that's what brings our heart into the picture as well. The modern way of saying it is, yeah. fake it until you make fake it. Fake it until you make it. Just fake. do it. Yes. Good. Nike. Yes. Yes. Just do it. Fake yes. until, until you make, you make it. it. The Rambam gives an interesting uh, insight on this. The Rambam in his introduction to the Mishnah goes on a lengthy discussion of many fundamental concepts. It was written in Arabic and translated into Hebrew originally with a poor translation and then retranslated into Hebrew. And I was going through the, the, the better translation um, since I can't understand the original. Um, and in the Rambam's introduction to the Mishnah, he talks about what's the purpose of man. And he speaks about how every uh, creature has its purpose and man has multiple functions, but we've got to have one purpose. And he speaks about the purpose of man being to know God. But then the Rambam says that as long as we're, we, we're, uh, we're indulging in uh, materialism, then that inhibits our ability to appreciate um, the wisdom of Hashem. But if you don't eat and you start... No, 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 indulging. He means like to be... Uh, yeah, ex- indulgence is not just involvement. If a person is carried away by material pleasure, then that inhibits his ability to, to be able to comprehend. And therefore, he says, therefore, we also need to work on our conduct. This is how the Rabbah presents it in his introduction to the Mishnah. He says, our goal is to be able to comprehend God, but we're not going to be able to do that without making serious changes to our lifestyle. As long as we're just uh, um, indulging and, and, and not looking to change our character and our behavior, and that will not allow us to be able to really truly appreciate Hashem. And therefore, that's how the Rambam says we've got to work on both fronts. So the big question is, how do we bring Hashem into our life? And more specifically, is it um, through 
Torah study? Is it through wisdom or is it through actions? And this question is answered in chapter 53 of the Tanya. But before we come to the answer, we've got to remind ourselves of what we discussed in the last two chapters, chapters 51 and 52. We were trying to understand what it means, Shkina, for God to be present. And we asked the question, isn't God everywhere? Remember, talking about why go to the Kotel? You can find God wherever you are. And we answered by explaining that just as the soul has three levels, so it is by Hashem. I'm going to speak very briefly now because we want to try to finish the section of the Tanya. We spoke about the soul that is the essence of the soul that is found equally through every limb of the body. We spoke about that's the highest level, that's the essence of the soul. The lowest level is the individual energy that the soul gives to each particular organ enabling it to function. The soul's ability to hear or to listen or to draw. A unique ability which is expressed in a particular organ. And that's where the soul is very limited to a specific function. And then we spoke about revealing the essence of the Dishamba, not just in a limited capacity as it relates to each limb, but revealing the soul as it is beyond the particular confines of each particular limb. And we said that that takes place primarily in the brain. So the soul is first revealed in a general sense of the brain, and then the brain is able to distribute a unique energy to each particular limb of the body. And that is why... The Rebbe explains, the brain can feel where pain is coming from. The fact that the brain can feel what's triggering it down to a particular uh, part of the nail of a particular toe and the brain just standing still can, can, can get that communication that it's specifically this place that the pain is originating is because the brain is the supplier of the individual energy of each faculty of the body. So again, the essence of the soul is everywhere but unrevealed. The soul as it's limited is expressed through each particular organ. But the bridge point between the infinite soul and the limited soul is the soul as it reveals itself in the brain, which subsequently um, diffuses the energy into the different limbs. Now, as I said, this is, requires a lot more understanding. But so too says the Tanya with Hashem, so to speak. The essence of God is everywhere. God is everywhere. <coughs> the individual energy that Hashem gives to each created entity is felt to that particular organ according to its level. Which means when we look at every one of God's creations, we see another expression of godliness. But it's a limited specific expression. Also through time, not just through place. Each Yom Tov gets us in touch with a different expression of godliness. Each Yom Tov has its unique energy. I mean, just imagine the guy that's confusing uh, Tisha B'Av and Purim. You know, it's like, which, the, the guy that's acting like Tisha B'Av and Purim, or acting like Purim and Tisha B'Av, and you say, what's wrong with you? So, why is that? What do you mean? 
I'm, it's all the same God. It's all the same religion. Like, why should it make a difference? It's because each day brings out a unique expression of divinity. So that's the lowest level. It's God as He is expressed through each particular limb. I said throughout the year, I'm not sure. That was my own uh, suggestion. The Tanya just speaks about how each particular creation expresses God in a limited capacity, in a unique way. And then we spoke about how we want, to, we want to reveal God as He is beyond this world, but within this world. We want to be able to bridge the unlimited, the infinite with the finite. And last week we described how the meeting point between God's infinity and, fi- and the finitude was in the temple of the Holy of Holies. And that's why when you were to measure up in the Holy of Holies, there was finitude and infinity working together. How so? Because if you measured from one side of the Holy of Holies, the room to the other, if you took a measuring tape and you measured from one end to the other, and then you measured from the, the one end of the room to the ark, and then from the other end of the room to the ark, so it equaled the same. The ark didn't take up space, but if you measured the ark, it had its specific dimensions. So it had dimensions, it was in space and above space at the same time. And the reason that there was this miraculous experience of the Holy of Holies was because the Holy of Holies was the meeting place of Hashem's um, infinity within the finite world. What does this mean for all of us? We're still bringing this all back home. and We have a lot to wrap up over here, the, the final chapter of the section of the Tanya. But what it really means is that we don't want to, we want to express God in our lives, but we don't, we, we want to express Hashem, experience Hashem, not just in a very limited, finite capacity. We want to experience Hashem as He is beyond the human experience, but within the human experience. That's really the challenge. When we talk about where the Shechida is found, we talk about where Hashem's infinite, incredible energy that surpasses this world can be found within this world. And that's what we mean by the Shechida. Because God is everywhere. His essence is everywhere because He's everywhere. And that's His essence. That's not revealed. He is revealed, the way He's revealed is in each created entity according to its limited capacity. But to be able to experience an out-of-world experience within this world, that's a chap. And it happened in the Holy of Holies. But the Tanya continues that since the temple was destroyed, Hashem is found in the Dalet Amos, in the vicinity of Halacha. We'll talk about Halacha in a moment. But just to recap on another point we mentioned last week, and that was why it is that Torah is the bridge between the infinity and the finitude. We spoke about how God, Torah on an on, on, on external level is intellect. The Torah is referred to as This is the wisdom of the world. But the Torah is not limited to just being a piece of wisdom. The Gemara also says If somebody says that there's wisdom in the world, believe him. But if somebody says there's Torah in the world, meaning other than what we've received, Torah, don't believe him. Why? What do you mean? We just said that the Torah is the wisdom of the world because the, the, the external shell of the Torah is wisdom. But the Torah actually embodies godliness. And so the Torah itself um, combines 
the unlimited with the limited. The Torah itself connected unlimited God with, inter- with limited intellect. This was discussed a lot, a lot in the, talking about going back to the beginning of the Tanya. The fourth and fifth chapters of the Tanya spoke a lot about this concept of Torah. How, we asked, how could it be? How could you have fi- infinites and finites together? If it's infinite, it's not finite. If it's finite, it's not infinite. And we described how God is so great that in his greatness and in his humility, he took his greatness and he, uh, he's not limited to being unlimited. And he took his greatness and he, he uh, injected and invested it within, to the to- in, within the Torah. That when we learn an intellectual concept of the Torah as part of Torah, we're able to connect with the infinite God. And therefore we described last week how Torah serves as also the meeting point between God as he is beyond this world, but experiencing it within this world. And so, back to the question of the Yudukkah. What is the oil? What is the oil that allows the fire to stay on the wick? What is the oil that brings Hashem into our lives, into a way that Hashem stays in our lives and is very much a part of our lives? Is it wisdom? Is it Torah? Or is it mitzvahs? Or is it actions? And the answer is both, as you both said. Why? Torah, we said, is the vehicle through which the infinite can come into the finite world. Because we said the Torah is able to take God's Shkhinah as it is beyond this world and, and uh, share godliness within us in a, in, a, in a finite capacity that we could comprehend it with our brain. But we're not just looking to have the fire kindle our brain. We want the fire to catch our whole body, our whole human experience. And that's why the Yenukah said that it's mice and tayvim, it's actions that bring the Shekhinah, God's presence, into our lives, into our worlds. Because we're not just looking to bring Hashem into our brain. We want, that's amazing to bring Hashem into our brain. And I, I say that in, with the truest meaning of the word. It really is amazing. It's an amazing achievement to have Hashem residing in our brain. But we don't want it to stop there. We want to bring Hashem down into every element of our life as a human being. Tanya also mentions that the mitzvahs, interestingly, we generally talk about the 630 mitzvahs. There are also seven mitzvahs that were instituted by the sages, so the total is 620. The gematria, the numerical value of 620 in Hebrew is keter. Keter in Kabbalah refers to the will of God as it even is precedes wisdom. So there's God just what he wants. And then when God's desire takes on the form of a particular godly intellect until it comes down into our world. And so when we engage in the will of God, which is all the 620 mitzvahs, we are taking from the highest of God and bring it down into the lowest of the human consciousness. And the Tanya finally says one point and with this the Tanya concludes. The Tanya says that the only way that the fire will stay is if the wick itself allows itself to be diminished and transformed by the fire. You that again? The only way that the fire or oil is great, oil is great, 
we know that we can't, you can't light a fire with oil. Right? Oil alone you won't light a fire. You need the wick. We said with the wick alone you also can't hold the fire. Because you need the oil. So you need the fire, you need the oil, and you need the wick. The fire that we're speaking about is experiencing Hashem in a way that is beyond our human trappings. That enables us to bring a higher godly consciousness into the world and into our lives and the lives of the people around us. That's the fire. The oil we've now said is allowing ourselves to engage with the wisdom of God and then with the will of God as it is, the 620 mitzvahs, actually bringing Hashem into our lives through performance, through action. And then we need the wick. We don't just need a wick. In order for a wick to serve as a wick, the wick itself needs to be able to be consumed by the fire, to be burned by the fire, to be transformed by the fire. I was thinking about it, you know, you have these like tiki torches where uh, that same wick can burn for hours. But at some point, the wick also needs to be replaced. I think a wick by definition has to also be somewhat consumed. Most of what's being consumed is the oil, but the wick itself also needs to somewhat be transformed by the fire in order for it to serve as the, uh, the handle to be able to hold the fire in this world. And really, this is the concluding words of the, of, of the Tanya. You want to ask a question? No, I just want to ask a question. Yes. But it's just a statement is that in order for the week to burn, you have to light it with match or you have to Absolutely. Absolutely. So you need to bring the fire to the wick. And you need oil for it to stay by the wick. But in order for the wick to be a good wick, the wick needs to allow itself to be consumed and transformed by the fire. The actions as well. The actions we said also consist of the oil. So we said the, the wisdom, learning about Hashem, and doing Hashem's will all serve as the fuel to have Hashem in our life. This is what the Yudukka meant when he said a wise man has his eye on his head, meaning the wise man has his eye to think, how do I keep that which is on my head, the Shechidah, how do I retain it? How do I keep Hashem in my life beyond the Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur moments? How do I make an out-of-this-world God very much present in my day-to-day life? And he said, you need the oil. You need, you need good deeds. He said, we also need the wisdom. But the final words of the Tanya is that the wick itself needs to allow itself to be consumed or transformed by the fire. What is the wick? It's not the mitzvahs. The body, or the terminology of the Tadya, it's the animal soul. It's 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 the human energy, not godly energy. In order to allow Hashem to be present in our life, we need to see how our body, how our not a physical body, a body doesn't have to change. I mean, maybe we might want to lose some weight, but how our bodily energy, meaning our just human experience is being transformed. Are we allowing our just regular human consciousness to be transformed, to be consumed by the fire of Hashem? Mm-hmm. And the Tanya over here, in summarizing all 53 chapters, I don't know, summarizing, but touching at them, says that there's the tzaddik and there's the benini. The tzaddik 
allows himself to be completely consumed. The, the tzaddik, we said, was the person whose entire persona has been redirected to be an ambassador of Hashem. Every fiber of this, the tzaddik's being, every feeling in his heart, every thought in his mind, and every concept in his brain is all being utilized in order to bring a godly consciousness into the world. But that's the tzaddik. That's not me and you, at least to the best of my knowledge. Certainly not me and possibly not. Maybe some of you have made it there, but, but possibly not. We're striving to be bait on him. But the Bainani also is able to allow the fire to consume his wick, not just his oil, but his wick. And how? We said there's three things that are in control of the Bainani. That's his thoughts, his speech, and his action. If what, we are, what are those three? The, those are the areas... Uh, that the Bainani has the capacity to effect transformation. If we want to have Hashem in our life, we need to ask ourselves, are we allowing our wick, our body, our human experience for the Bainani's, our thoughts and our speech and action to be consumed, to be transformed by the fire of Hashem? And this is certainly a big um, chiddush, a big novelty and, 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 and emphasis of Hasidus. That Torah, it's incredible. We've learned so much about it. Mitzvahs, amazing. It's the will of God. We've learned so much about them too. But we're not just looking to engage in Torah and mitzvahs. We're looking to allow ourselves. The way we look at ourselves in the mirror, that self to be consumed by the presence of Hashem. And the Tanya says, with this we could have a good understanding of the words of the sages that God is a consuming fire. Some people view it in dread. Shishon Yom Kippur is coming. God is a consuming fire. Watch out. It's dangerous. But the Tanya teaches us that God calls to every one of us and says, Will you allow yourself to be consumed by the presence of Hashem? To be transformed, to be elevated by the presence of Hashem? And this expresses itself in every area. It expresses itself in our relationship with Hashem. As we come to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and we ask Hashem for the things that we so desperately want, we should ask ourselves as well, are we allowing ourselves to be the right wick? We are, but how could we better be better at that? It, re it relates to uh, relationships in our family, sp our spouses, our parents, our children, to ask ourselves, in these relationships, is this a relationship that lends itself to Hashem being comfortable in the room. Is this the nature of this relationship, one where Hashem would be proud, he'd be present and say, wow, I love the way you're getting along together. I love the way you're looking after each other. Is, is that relationship a wick that allows the fire of Hashem to be present?
and then with all the people around us, people that we know, people that we don't know, as we engage with every person around us and on the streets, we should ask ourselves, are we serving as Hashem's wick? Have we, are we well fueled? Because without fuel, we can't ha- ha- we, we, it won't stay. It, it'll be like that inspiration that comes in a moment and dissipates, like uh, lighting a piece of paper on fire. It's, it's, it's huge, and then three seconds later, it's gone. So we need fuel, and the fuel is nothing short of starting Torah and doing mitzvahs. But in addition to the fuel, which we, we, which we so need, as we engage with every person around us and on the streets, we ask ourselves, are we being the best wick that we could be so that Hashem could shine in our lives and in the lives of all the people around us. And I'll conclude with the final words of the Tanya, which is also the opening words of the Tanya. And that is, or the final words of the section of the Tanya, Nishlam chaylik rishoyin be'ezras Hashem yisparech v'yisaleh. We have concluded the first section of the Tanya with the help of Hashem. May he be blessed and exalted. And I conclude with this because everything that we do is only with the help of Hashem. When we opened the Tanya, we said that we are going on a long, short way to be able to reach places. And we concluded that sentence as well. The author in his opening words said, Be'ezrus Hashem Yisparich. With the help of Hashem, and we conclude with the help of Hashem, and so we turn. We've done. We've done our parts. We've done a lot of our part. We've been here. We've been learning. We've been growing. We've been working, and we turn to Hashem and we say, Hashem, please help us.